Hey, what's up, grievers, grievettes, and uh, people who want to learn about grief? How's it going? Uh, My name is Ruthie. I am coming back with a special holiday edition um, of Grief is Lit. I wanted to check in with everyone during the holidays. Um, It's a very loaded time and I'll be honest, um, I've really not been that well. Uh, Yes, I had COVID, all of the things, but this has been a really rancid year for me. Um, And the holidays are just a hard time in general, but the particular apocalyptic feeling of this one, I think might've pushed a lot of people underwater. So I just wanted to talk today a little bit about grief and the holidays. Um, You know, it's a tough time when you have a a myriad of issues, a broken family, a, a, you know, loss, sickness, all kinds of things that can sort of make you feel like, you know, everyone else is having this, but I'm not. Um, and for me, uh, it's a very weird time of year because I'm born, um, tomorrow, December 30th, as uh, my birthday. And, uh, then the next day marks the new year. And then the day after that is the day that I got a call that my dad was being airlifted to an ICU. So I have a particular feeling of dread around this time of year because it reactivates normally my trauma, um, which now 10 years out feels like just a particular really heavy sadness. Um, And I wanted to talk to you guys today a little bit about uh, the story of what happened with my dad, because I was talking to a friend who had also unfortunately lost her father. um, And she was saying, you know, I never think you actually told me the story of what happened to your dad. And I think that's, common, um, with a lot of people in my life, like they know some of the details, but not all of it. And part of what's difficult, um, for me, uh, in the way that my dad died is when someone asks me, which is a very natural human instinct to hear someone dies and want to know what happened. Um, I think there's a time and place for it that's a whole other discussion, but, um, that's the human instinct, right? Like you want to know, you want information. Um, so with, with my situation with my father, I can't say something like my dad had a heart attack. My dad had cancer. My dad, you know, these sort of just like 
for better or worse, like shut up part of the conversation. Like, <laughs> like there's not much to follow with, you know, unless you want to like relay your own story of your uncle had cancer or whatever. But like, that's the point where the person who's grieving is sort of telling you stop. Like, <laughs> um, but, but I don't even, so I, I feel like I don't have that stop. I don't have that thing that's going to like necessarily end the conversation. So, so I sort of avoid it. Um, and when I went to grad school, my school had learned about my dad and they were great about, um, making sure that I went to therapy. They sat me down and they said, this is a very intense film program. Um, you just went through something really hard and we want to make sure you have support. And I'm so thankful that they did that. And the first therapist that I had actually told me when she was leaving, she moved to San Francisco. Um, man, there was a lot of tears that day. Uh, but she told me when I first walked, when I first walked into her office that I couldn't even say the words that my dad had died. Okay, we're going to try to get the, through this episode without a lot of tears, but if they happen, I'm letting them fall, so you'll just have to suffer through it. Um, so she said that I couldn't even say the words that my dad had died, and that's how paralyzed I was in my trauma. So for me, it's almost linear, although there's nothing about grief that's linear, but as time passes, I'm able to sort of tell more of this story. So I'm going to tell it today in the best way that I can. Um, and I'm going to leave out some details, but I want to just practice doing this. And maybe this is helpful for you if you have lost someone or have something that is really hard for you to, you know, like bring up at parties. Um, it ultimately comes up when you're meeting a new person, where's your mom and where's your dad? Oh, he's in the grave. Like I I've tried so many, you know, sarcastic, funny ways to handle that question, but sometimes it's just easier to say, um, my dad died, you know, and really, own that as part of your story. Um, obviously, depending on what's going on that day, the mood can change, but I'll walk you through sort of what happened and the timeline. So New Year's Eve, I received a call from my dad and very much in the spirit of who my dad was, he was at a party. <laughs> and I don't even know how my dad found parties in Vermont, but like somehow he found fun parties to be at. I mean, he was living in a very small town in Southern Vermont, but he was a very active part of the community among other things. Uh, so he called me and it was sort of a like after midnight call. I was like, Hey, uh, you know, I love you and happy new year. And it was sort of loud. We couldn't really hear each other. Um, 
and I went to bed. And I think it was early in the morning, although this is where the like trauma starts to kick in and the times and dates start swirling together. So I got a call. I was living in Park Slope that my dad was being airlifted to um, the ICU at Dartmouth-Hitchcock in New Hampshire. And the reason he was there is he was visiting his then girlfriend. um, And she had said that there was, he'd had a stomach virus and he was throwing up a lot. He was, you know, throwing up bile, like couldn't keep water down. So they took him to a local ER just to sort of see what was going on. And at this ER, something happened. That's all I knew. And that he was being airlifted to a bigger hospital. And I sort of knew at that moment that something was not like maybe a little bit wrong, but that my dad was dying. Um, And to learn about that from a phone call was... hard to put into words. So I, my, my now husband and I drove up to New Hampshire, uh, and they told us that we needed to get there very quickly. So that was another indicator that there was limited time. I still had no sense of what was happening, but I do know that my body was in out of my mind trauma at that moment, I was um, sort of like, sort of hoping that the car crashed because I felt so out of control. And I think we pulled over the car and I was screaming and throwing up. You know, I just really knew I really knew something was very, very wrong. And um, so we got up to the ICU and I was able to see my father and um, they started relaying like mountains of information upon us while I was completely blacked out. I don't even know how to describe blacked out is a really a way that I felt. Um, So my dad was the sickest person in the ICU. And what had happened is that at that emergency room, they gave him, um, they were going to give him a CT scan to examine his stomach. And when they give you those types of tests, they give you contrast dye. Sorry, there's construction in the background, but I don't want to break up the recording. Um, So they give you contrast dye. And what had happened is my dad had been throwing up a lot. And then they lay him flat on his back and gave him contrast dye. And it's radioactive dye. So my dad swallowed his vomit. And the vomit with the dye spread through all of his lungs which is really, which is fatal. So 
basically the stomach issue, whatever it was or wasn't, had nothing to do with why my dad was in the ICU. My dad was in the ICU because there was radioactive dye in his lungs. So I sort of understood that, although the state of my father and the way he looked and how many machines were on him. um, It's like when you see it in the movies, it's one thing in real life. It's, um, I don't even know how to describe it, but there, I'd say there was like 10 to 15 machines. He was in a coma. He had his stomach sliced open so he could breathe better. Um, like literally they had like a plastic lining on his abdominal wall to try to open up for his lungs. And I basically spent the rest of that month from January 1st to January 28th when he died in the ICU, uh, sleeping in a waiting room in New Hampshire in the middle of winter. And it was the most miserable time of my life. And it will never cease to be so hard to think about, but you know, the team there was trying to save his life and they couldn't. Sorry. And um, I don't even really know what else to say. There were so many days of people running in the waiting room and saying, your dad's dying, run now and say goodbye to him. And then he wasn't again. And then for a while it was, he made a little progress and then he didn't. And they just said they'd never seen anyone that sick and, you know, it just, it just, none of it felt like it was going to work out. So there's a particular part of me that, um, part of my grief is, you know, the fact that I didn't say goodbye to my dad or didn't have time where I knew he could hear me, um, or he could, or I could communicate with him that, um, you know, that we could talk about him dying, that we could, whatever. Um, and that's really hard. Um, but what I do know is that there's a part of me that felt relief when he died because it was so torturous to see him in these horrific states of being. And I just knew he wasn't going to be happy with that. And um, so that is my story, I guess. (laughs) I mean, there's so much more, but that's how my dad died. Um, and it doesn't make sense to me, you know? Um, it, I don't know if it ever will. And 
all I can do is try to honor my dad's memory in different ways. <sighs> okay. Take a minute. My dad was such an instrumental part of my life. He and I were so close and we got in huge fights and my dad was not a saint and had a lot of really, really difficult sides to him as a person. But him and I's relationship was really, really special. And at the times where I'm feeling really dark and really like now where I feel really anchorless, where I feel really confused about what my place is in the world and what I'm here to contribute. I do remember my time with my, and my relationship with my father and how incredibly lucky I was to have a father like that. And although his time was short, shortened by some terrible fucking bullshit, um, I know that like my time with him was so rich. It was like rich with argument, rich with conflict, with passion, with all everything. Like our relationship was just full of humanness and emotion and intensity and caring and loving and all the things. And I just know that there are so many people who want that from their fathers or who, you know, I was just so lucky. So I try to think about that. Like I was so fucking lucky, so lucky um, for so many years. And, you know, when you can sort of step out of the pain a little bit and look at the bigger picture, just from a slightly outsider view where you could just appreciate this one aspect of your life. Like my dad died in a horrific way, but I had this incredible relationship with this man who formed me and made me who I am. Really? That is beautiful. Um, okay. I'm going to take a quick break. Okay, so I promise this show will not be all sobbing. I realize that probably doesn't have a huge audience, although you never know. But um, I thought it was important to sort of talk about my own story. Um, and again, that's the bird's eye view, but that's what happened. Beginning, middle, end. Uh, the hero's journey. I wanted to end today with a quote about grief. And this is something I found on Instagram by an author named Marissa Renee Lee. And she has a new book coming out called Grief is Love, which I really love the title because that resonates with me. Um, and here's one of the quotes. 
Grief is the repeated experience of learning to live in the midst of a significant loss. And I love that definition of grief. We repeat all the time um, and to, to the point where people sort of feel like, okay, I should be over this by now. It's been X amount of time, like, but loss is infinite. And ultimately we continue. We continue in the midst of a significant loss. I feel like she really nailed it. And I'm looking forward to reading her book called Grief is Love. So I will see you guys in 2022. Can we hope for a better year? I mean, it really feels like it's got to be better, right? I mean, it's got to be better than 2021. <sighs> um, stay safe. Please do get in touch if you like the show. I'm going to be lining up some guests for 2022 that I'm excited about. So uh, the email is griefiscoolagain at gmail.com. My name is Ruthie, and please take care of, each, of yourselves, of each other. Wrap yourself up in one of those sauna blankets that I desperately want. Um, get in the fucking fetal position. I don't care. Like, truly just survive. You are a fucking hero for getting through this time and still being here. So I love you and let's talk soon. Peace.